And since I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, the impact jolted me up in the seat, slammed my head to the inside of the roof of the car, crushing my fifth and sixth cervical vertebrae and slicing through my spinal cord. At that point, I passed out and lost control of the car. And it spun around a couple times and went backwards into someone's house. After a serious accident left him permanently paralyzed and in a wheelchair, Steve Sconzert came to understand that mindset is more powerful than circumstance. He's our guest on this episode of Win This Year. Drugs and alcohol. Bullying. Unhealthy relationships. Depression. Internet safety. Substance use. Body image. Self-injury. Suicide. Anxiety. Social media. Kids. Pre-teens. Parenting. Middle school. High school. Adolescents. Teens. Coping skills. Self-care. Relationships. Strategies. Life skills. Prevention. Solutions. Help. Hope. Leadership. Insight. Information. Inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year, the official podcast of Not My Kid, a prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative, interesting, inspiring. Win this year. Welcome to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, public information officer and prevention specialist for Not My Kid. This is season two, episode two. We are two seasons into the podcast, two episodes into the second season, and we are finally getting the chance to speak with this gentleman today who was suggested to us very early on during the recording of the podcast. So we now get the chance to finally speak with our guest today, Steve Sconzert. Steve is an award-winning speaker and coach with a passion for guiding others to see their own self-worth make positive choices, and live empowered, purpose-driven lives. When he was a high school senior, Steve's own destructive choices with alcohol and marijuana led to a serious car accident that left him permanently paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Determined to regain his independence, he learned how mindset is more powerful than circumstance and lives that motto to this day. Through his own life experiences, Steve's desire is to inspire others to own their story, see beyond limitations, and make empowered choices rooted in a strong sense of self-worth. Steve, welcome to Win This Year. Shane, thank you so much. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. As I said in the introduction, I'm excited to have you here. One of our staff members, Sarah Grotto, suggested you ages ago, and we finally have you here, so I'm excited for our, our audience to hear your story. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, and what was life like for you as a kid? What were you like? How did your life start? What are those early years like? Early on, actually, I had a very, I had a great childhood. My, we lived in a small su suburb in Wisconsin, and my dad was a school teacher. My mom was a nurse, and uh, we lived in a yeah, like I lived in a suburb, went to a, a parochial grade school, and really had no wants or needs growing up. And I just, you know, it was, I had everything I could, I, everything, everything I needed. There was always a meal on the table. There were always things to do. And yet at the same time, as I was growing up, for whatever reason, I 
had a very strong need for uh, the approval of others. I began to really seek that in a way that that was the only way that I could approve approve of myself. And it was, it just became something that ruled my life. And I didn't even really quite get it. I didn't understand it. I was just growing up being a kid. And, and at the same time, I felt like I was always trying to fit in, trying to get the approval primarily of my friends and peers, also my family. And it was just always that constant desire for approval. That is something that I can personally relate to so much. As a matter of fact, that was a big part of why I, in junior high, eventually started turning to alcohol to cope with the fact that I didn't feel like I fit in. And and we're hearing this. We've we've heard actually something very similar in a lot of people's stories, whether it's on Win This Year or whether it's when we're working with kids in our Project Rewind Early Intervention Program. It's that desire to fit in. So was that yeah. something that eventually led you to try drugs or alcohol for the first time? When did you use drugs or alcohol for the first time? Do you remember that day, that night? And was your motivation related to trying to fit in, or was it something else? Well, I can remember the first time alcohol came into play was at a fam. There was a, a wedding that I was at, and I managed to get a hold of some beer at the free beer bar <laughs> that was at the, at the wedding. And, you know, I just was experimenting and having some fun. And, uh, when it came, when it came to marijuana, that first experience was with a friend who was doing it and I wanted to fit in with him. So I tried it and that's, that's really where it started. And it wasn't something that really excited me though. I mean, it was like, okay, so what I just did this, it wasn't a big deal. But what happened was then as time went along, you know, I would try it again and then try it again and other friends were doing it. So that was a, it was a form of fitting in is really what it was. And after a while, you know, it started to, it affected me psychologically, of course. Yeah, there was, there was a high from it. And so that was a way of making the pain go away of not fitting in. So, you know, it was just, it was just that kind of a roller, you know, it was like a snowball going downhill. It just added, it just added to itself. As far as the alcohol, it was uh, that first experience was, you know, a it was real fun at the time. It didn't feel very good the next day. <laughs> and I was, it wasn't something I really wanted to do much more after that. But again, as I started hanging around with friends who maybe they were getting some beer or they were doing some drinking, then I would do it just to fit in. And that became a way that I could be a part of the gang, so to speak. And as time went on, that became a focal point of our activities. You know, we would get together on the weekends, your friends and whatnot, and we would, we would find a way to get some beer. 
And that would be a, it was like, that was one of the main reasons for getting together. Let's get some beer, get something to drink. And it was just for fun. You know, for me, I didn't, I, I stayed clean in school. I didn't, I didn't, I got good grades and I didn't get in trouble. It was just, you know, I like to party a little bit on weekends. And again, that was my way of fitting in as I, as time went on, that need to fit in just, well, it, it came to a head when I was a senior in high school and I had that car accident that you that mentioned in my, in my intro where I was, you know, involved. I had a getting together with friends, had a few beers and decided to get behind the wheel. Prior to that day that everything changed for you, were there any immediate or short-term consequences as a result of, of your drinking or using, or did it seem at the time like you weren't going to pay a price for it? Oh, absolutely. I felt like there was, I, there, I felt like there was no way. I figured this was just what kids did. This is just what we did. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to get in trouble for it. I wasn't going to, you know, those kind of things happen to somebody, to other people. Absolutely. That wasn't, that wasn't going to, that was never going to happen to me. I just never believed something like that would ever happen. And so it was just, Hey, this is my way of fitting in. It was party time. It was fun. And in no way did I think that, that it would happen to me. I was really an expert at flying under the radar as I went in, got into junior high and high school, I knew that as long as I got good grades, I didn't cause trouble at school, didn't get in trouble with the law, that I could get away with things. I could get away with, you know, having, doing a little partying on the weekends. Of course, I didn't, I never let my parents find out. I always kept that hidden. And it was always just, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. I'm immune. That phrase sounds so familiar. Uh, everyone that I have met who is in recovery, who ended up becoming an addict or an alcoholic, or ended up having a consequence to the degree which you did, to a person, they all said, oh yeah, I, I told myself this is never going to happen to me. I, I know that things happen to other people, but it's never going to happen to me. And that's one of the things that when we work with kids it is so hard to get middle school and high school students to understand that the reality applies to them as well. You know, it's you, when you are rolling the dice on it, you are taking that risk. So take us back to March 21st, 1981. I've heard you describe that day and you do it incredibly well. Paint that picture for us if you would, please. Sure. I, it was, remember it was a Friday night and I worked that night. I, I was night manager at a supermarket. I finished my shift and some of my friends had gotten together at somebody's house. And so I drove there after work and we just were sitting around having a few beers smoking a little pot and it was no big deal. 
It was just like something that we always did. It was like any other time. You know, and it's funny when I look back at that night, just before I was getting ready to leave the party, I stood up and I walked in. I was I was sitting in the living room and I stood up and I walked through the living room in through the kitchen and into the bathroom and I shut the door behind me and that would be the last time in my life that I peed standing up. It's funny how things that you don't ever think of, I mean, they're just, who thinks about going to the bathroom? You take it for granted. You take it for granted. Something, something that simple. And I finished and I left and I went out and I was getting ready to leave. And one of my friends was standing there in the kitchen and she asked me if she, if I would mind giving her a ride home. I said, sure. I absolutely. I'm happy to. She lived right on the way. So we left and we walked out to my, my car. And I remember we walked out of the house and it was in March in Wisconsin. So the air was kind of cool and hit my face. It kind of, you know, sharpened my senses for a moment. We walked out to the car and it was my beautiful Royal blue 69 Camaro that I had just bought three months earlier. And I, as I would do at those times, every so often, I'd like to stop and look at my car and like put it in a frame of a picture. And you have to say, oh, yeah, look at you. You are so beautiful. And I remember my friend looking at me and she says, oh, come on, let's just go. You're ridiculous. But I, I, that's, I love that car. I mean, that was my baby. So we hop in and I, I pull out and we're driving home and I pull up to a red light and the street was rather narrow. It was a, it was a four lane street, but there was no median or anything. And it, there was, I was at a red light, the car pulls up to me on the right. And as I tended to do at that time, I always looked over and checked out what the other car was like, see what they were, see how that matched up to what I had. And I looked over and my eyes caught the eyes of the other driver. And immediately we knew it was game on. And so I just, you know, tightened my grip on the steering wheel at a Hurst four speed shifter. I tightened my grip on that. And I watched the lights from the other direction to see when they would change so I could time my start. And we took off out of the intersection as soon as that light turned. And I remember, you know, going through gears, first gear, second gear, third gear, and I'm pulling away. And then I look up ahead and I see a van parked on the right side of the street and headlights coming towards me. And even though I had, even though, you know, I had that liquid courage coursing through my veins that made me you know, led me to make this decision. I knew that this wasn't going to end well if I kept it up. So I just backed off. I let, I took my foot off the gas and gave it up. Well, unfortunately, the driver of the other vehicle cut over in front of me into my lane to avoid the van and the back end of their car clipped the front right fender of my Camaro. And since I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, 
the impact jolted me up in the seat, slammed my head to the inside of the roof of the car, crushing my fifth and sixth cervical vertebrae and slicing through my spinal cord. At that point, I passed out and lost control of the car. It spun around a couple times and went backwards into someone's house. The next thing I knew, I woke up in a strange bed staring at red and orange and yellow striped wallpaper. It was a hospital room. And I'm like, what's going on? This is not my room. And then what is this weird frame doing around my bed? I looked and there was this, these chrome bars arched from head to toe on each side. And I didn't know it, but that strange looking bed and those chrome bars was called a striker circle bed. It's a specialized bed that was designed to help stabilize my spine while keeping the sharp fragments of my neck vertebrae from doing further spinal cord damage. And that was when I realized, I looked around the room and I saw other things like an IV stand and a heart monitor that something really bad had happened. Did the reality of it all hit you immediately? Or, or did it take some time to fully sink in? Because you were pretty young at the time, but did the gravity of what you were facing, what you saw around you in that room, did you fully understand the consequence or did you not realize it was going to be quite to the degree that it was? Uh, no, I had, I had no idea. I knew, I knew something bad happened, but I'd never heard of spinal cord injury. I had no idea what, the, what was going on or the consequence of that. I just knew that something bad had happened. The reality of it all hit later on. And, you know, I've heard guys who've had injuries like mine talk about the moment when it really hit them that, you know, all of a sudden they were going to be paralyzed or, this was a, this was a permanent injury. And for that, for me, it never really happened that way. I, you know, I learned that you know, this was going to be a potentially permanent paralysis and somehow I just, I just continued on. I realized that, okay, something, something really bad has happened and I'm going to have to deal with it. And I think it was a gradual thing for me, the gradual setting in, you know, I, I spent two months in an acute care hospital in traction. And from there I went to a rehab center where now all of a sudden I saw a lot of other people who had done things or had things happen to them that were similar to mine. And I realized that this, this was not just me, that it's not just me that this kind of thing can happen to. And then you know, it was like, okay, this is, this is something that I'm going to have to live with and I'm going to have to deal with probably for a long time. 
the point when I realized that it was permanent, again, I, I'm not sure exactly when that was. And I apologize if I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but it, it just didn't, it was something that was gradual for me. It didn't hit right away. You talked about your determination to, you know, to overcome, to adapt to the situation that you found yourself in. Did that determination come immediately? Did it come quickly? Or was there a point at which you felt defeated? Did you feel immediately determined to just adapt? Or was it a combination of feelings and thoughts? What was your mindset early on? Early on, my mindset was... I knew that my parents probably felt, and not probably, I'm sure they felt a tremendous amount of of guilt for letting me buy that car and I wanted to do the best that I could to help alleviate that pain for them. It wasn't even for myself. Again, we can go back to my need for approval and that my approval would come through them feeling better. Yeah, it's funny. And if, and if you don't mind I'd me going back to even before that car accident, the, the need for self for approval is to me, it's an addiction just like a lot of other addictions. Absolutely. Like, and it's so, it, it, it's so insidious. It's just so, so, so powerful that it was always it just in, encompassed my life. And so after my accident, and as I started going through rehab, I knew that there was a tremendous amount of guilt. You know, tremendous, tremendous amount of pain that they were going through. So I wanted to make the best of it for them. And while that, you know, that's great that I wanted them to not feel bad about it. I still, I needed to make that decision for myself and really as time went on, I realized that, you know, it's, it's gotta be my life. It's gotta be my it's got to be something that I do for me. And that was, that was one of the turning points for me is when I really decided that I wanted to be independent and I wanted to make it that way for me. I also saw the effect of other people who were going through similar situations and who were not accepting it as you know, they weren't, they were not accepting the circumstance as something that they wanted to overcome. They were in a blame mode. They were, they were bitter and that wasn't something that I wanted. I saw that with a couple of my roommates or not a couple of my roommates. There were a couple of guys there in rehab that I had similar injuries. And one of them had gone through you know, they were going through rehab and he was very bitter and very angry. And the results that in his life showed it, the results of his therapy, the, the people who were working with him, the therapists and nursing staff, you know, they had 
he was difficult to work with and he didn't get good results in his therapy and learning to become independent. Another person, his own roommate was something was somebody who was doing, he did much better. He was much more positive. And when I asked him what his secret was, he said that you just have to own your circumstance. You have to own it and be willing to accept whatever it is you're going through. And that was powerful for me. And learning that and having that attitude was something that really helped me go through the rehab process and regain my independence. When did you decide to use your story and your experience to help others? How did you start doing so? When did that happen? How far along in the process were you when you chose to do that? Well, actually, that's an that's an interesting part of the story because that really hasn't hap- didn't happen until probably let's see, five years ago. Wow! Now, all this okay. happened quite a long time ago, and the truth is, even after going through rehab and regaining my independence, I went I went through the rehab, regained my independence. I went to college and I got a degree started a, a, a long IT career, I was still seeking outside approval. And that led to, that led to further decisions that resulted in painful relationships. And it wasn't until much later on that I decided to get the help that I needed through some mentors and resources out here in Arizona. And the, the resource, the mentor that I went, went to was a man by the name of Sean Stevenson. He himself had a very difficult life. He was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is brittle bones disease. And he was an accomplished motivational speaker that really lived his message. Well, I came to Sean for uh, a breakthrough. He was also a, a, a psychotherapist, and I came to him for a breakthrough because of my own my own issues. And Sean invited me to his speaker training program, and which was something I'd never had any desire to do, becoming a motivational speaker. Since he offered it to me, I, I went ahead and did it. And I went through his program and I ended up, it was a, it was a, a program that included a, a speaking competition and I ended up winning the competition, which was totally surprising to me. I never had any idea that this would be something that would be something that would be I, that my place a way that my life would turn. And so winning that competition really changed my mind as far as what am I doing with my life? I mean, do I want to continue to serve in the way I am doing IT work or do I want to serve others through my story? And so I've made the decision to start using my story to serve others, to own their circumstance and to, and to live empowered lives. 
right now I'm still going through, I'm, I'm still utilizing my IT job as my primary source of income. And I'm gradually working my way towards a, hopefully a full-time career as a motivational speaker. Now, you've already mentioned some of your primary message. A lot of your message is about mindset. It's about mindset being more powerful than circumstance. It's about owning your circumstance. What would you say beyond that, or maybe I've already hit on that and you've already hit on that, what are the most important points that you hope to get across when you're sharing your story and you're sharing your experience? Yeah, for me, my message is about accepting yourself first. I believe that happiness comes from within and that life is an inside out game. Self-acceptance is key to happiness because I believe that we create outside circumstances that, re that reflect how we feel about ourselves on the inside. And we, when we are more accepting of ourselves, we're more accepting of other people around us. When we're more accepting of ourselves, we take care of ourselves better, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. When we accept ourselves, we use positive self-talk. When we accept ourselves, we actually show up better for others. You know, there's the saying uh, in the airline industry, when you, when you, before takeoff, you always hear about, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that is true in life as well, not just when you're flying. When you put the oxygen mask on yourself first, when you take care of yourself first, you're actually less, you're more giving because you show up better for those in your life, for, the, for your family, for your job. And that involves, that means you have to accept yourself. You means you, you have to set, be willing to set clear boundaries that say, hey, you know what? I know you need me to do something right now, but right now I've got to take care of myself first. And that can sound like that's a selfish attitude, but really, when you have clear boundaries, when you accept yourself and you love yourself fully, then how you show up for others and how you serve others is actually better. That's an example that I've used previously, and we live by it, not my kid, because you can't pour from an empty vessel. And that airline example, it's, you know, it's in our nature, especially as people who are helpers by nature. It is our instinctual move to, to make sure that other people are taken care of first. But as you said, if you're not taking care of your own personal needs, if you aren't treating yourself in a healthy way and viewing yourself in a healthy way, it's hard to be there 100% to help others. So a lot, of, a lot of what you just said kind of answers what my next question was, but you might want to add a little bit more. I don't know. I'm going to ask, what would your words be to someone who is listening to this episode that may be in the midst of a, a battle or a challenge of their own? Mm, yeah, that is a great question. I would say 
the first thing is to never give up. Never give up. The, from there, it is own your circumstance 100%. And I know, especially at, at the at the stage where maybe you feel you're at your lowest low, just saying never give up and speaking to yourself kindly are two huge steps. Think about how, and, and I, I still have to catch myself to this day with negative self-talk and, you know, making a mistake and saying, okay, I made a mistake. This didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but actually making a mistake is actually the best way to learn. So having an attitude where you speak to yourself with kindness, speak to yourself like you're speaking to someone you love. So, you know, never giving up, speaking to yourself with kindness, owning your circumstance 100%. And I know this is where I lose people sometimes because when you own your circumstance 100%, that means that blame has to go away. Definitely. And people, it's, you know, people who live with a blamer attitude or with a blame mindset, well, that's tough. That's, that's a hard one to accept. We blame is easy because that removes the responsibility from ourselves to take action, removes the responsibility from ourselves to fix something. We, Hey, it's not my fault. I mean, somebody else has to fix it. They're the, they're the ones to blame. And there is, there's no true self-empowerment that can come from somebody else fixing your problem. And I know, I know that this is where I lose some people, but I truly believe that we have to own our circumstance, even if it's unfair. And I know that there are a lot of things, a lot of bad things that can happen to really good people. It happens in life. That's been the way since the human race has been in existence. And I'm sorry that I'm, I feel bad for people who go through those things. And yet at the same time, I see people who've gone through horrific things make great strides. And that's done by owning circumstance, owning their circumstance, understanding that, you know, living at cause and being that, having that attitude is what gets you in the, for the first step to going into the right, going to the right direction. I've seen that principle in play myself. I've seen people who have allowed things to destroy them. And I've seen people who have been handed circumstances that I personally see, and I say, I, I don't know how I would make it through that, where they've not only made it through that situation, but they have then taken that, they've taken the power back from that situation, they have harnessed that, and they have used it for a platform. It's like what you've done with your situation. It's like what I've seen where with 
parents who have gone through unspeakable tragedies, and they had the choice to let that destroy them or have power over them for the remainder of their life, or they said, what good can we get out of this? What can we do to turn this into a positive? So what are your thoughts on, you talked about really wanting to fit in, really wanting to please people, and, and we, we see that really intensify uh, in the middle school and the high school years, and, and part of the reason why a lot of people, a lot of young people drink or use for the first time is, is they're trying to fit in. They want to be accepted. What are your thoughts on the pressure and the temptations that middle school and high school students face to drink or use? Is there a message that you try or would like to convey to them? Yeah, I would. That's and that is, I believe, even now, it's even tougher than when I was growing up because there are so many, there's so many outside influences. There's so many things out there telling you that you're not enough and that you need to do this or you need to do that to fit in and to be enough. And what I believe, you know, what I, what I would like to say to kids that, that are going through times right now where they're, where they are just trying to fit in. And that is find things that you are curious about and like to learn. I mean, we're all, we, when you are, when you're interested in something, then you can focus your mind on that and stay curious and learn. And it keeps your mind away from things that are, that are destructive. It also, it's about self-care, physical, mental, emotional, put good food in your body exercise get get involved with sports there are I, I know that it's really challenging right now with the environment we've got in uh with with covid that you know everybody's even more isolated i believe the the need for self acceptance is even greater now that we're we're going through what we're going through we will come through on the other side. We will come out on the other side of this. And I would say that just staying curious and good self-care. It's a great message. Positive self-talk. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that's absolutely a fantastic message because, like you said, it's it's tougher now. I... I am so glad that I didn't go to middle school or high school with social media existing. Life was difficult enough as it was, number one, without, like you said, all those influences telling you who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to look like. And then not only that, but that increased level of temptation when you're seeing certain unhealthy behaviors put out there as this is how you deal with life, this is how you cope with life, which then leads to you talking about the self-care taking care of you know the physical needs mental and emotional and things like that we've met so many kids who have chosen to drink or use for the first time and have stuck with it because they lack 
those healthy outlets. They lack that healthy self-care. They're not even, a lot of the kids that we meet aren't even necessarily looking to get high or the euphoria. They're trying to cope with life. And you talked about finding what they're curious about, chasing their passion. When I finally, really, my drinking and using took off in high school, it's where I had stopped spending the time doing the positive things that I love to do. And you've got that void, and you've got that free time, and you've got that lack of fulfillment, and you've set yourself up for that situation there. Now, that was about the kids. Let's flip it over to the parents. To the parents out there who have teens who are at or around the age you were at when everything changed for you, what would be your advice or encouragement to the parents? My advice there would be to be be there when your kids are ready to talk. And I'll go back to when I was growing up, and I am not saying this to criticize my parents or any of the parents of that time, but very often the message from parents is, I'm the parent, you're the child, you know, you, you, we will talk when I'm ready to talk and having the flexibility and to recognize when it is your kids have something going on that, and, and being able to stop what you're doing and take what, take the time to talk to them when they're ready to talk. I mean, I know that when I was growing up, there were moments when, Maybe I you know, had a behavior that, was, that needed some correction. And my parents were like, okay, this is, what, this is the way the rules are. This is the way it is. And you know, we're not, you're not going to be doing that anymore. There's going to be consequences. There are other times, though, that maybe I was struggling and that I was fearful. And there was, you know, how... I, I was ready to talk, but maybe they were busy or there were other things going on and we weren't able to have that conversation at a time when I was ready to talk. I guess, I guess my, my point to saying this is that, you know, when you decide you as a parent that this is the time to talk, if you're, if you're, teen or your child is not in a space to want to talk, you're not, I don't believe the results are going to be very good. Nope. <laughs> they will. I, I know from my standpoint, I would do things like just say what I think they wanted to hear so I could end the conversation. And to me, as a, as a parent, be the one with the behavioral flexibility to and recognize that when they are ready to talk, that's the time. That's the time to be available for them, even if that means you have to stop what you're doing, and have that awareness that hey, maybe it's time to now. It's time to listen because when they're ready to open up, that's that's when you want to be there. Those windows can be very few and very far between. So, like you said, seize that moment. You don't know the next time that a teen is going to be opening up to you. And as you said, you know, when we come to them, you know, and we can do this as parents, we're very well-intentioned, 
but if we're not catching them at a time where they're feeling like being candid or vulnerable or open, as you said, some some teens are going to give answers that they think their parents want to hear. Some teens are going to give one and two word answers. I don't know. I'm okay. Yeah. Stuff like mm-hmm. that. But when they come to you, and the parents of teens hearing this, I know, are nodding because they recognize how rare that is. It's like a comet mm-hmm. that passes by Earth every 76 years, and you have to harness that when that opportunity comes. That is incredible advice. And we as parents, we get very busy. We get caught up in our work. We get caught up in things like that. But as a parent, there is no greater duty of ours than the, keeping our kids healthy and safe and thriving. How can people learn more about you, contact you, or connect with you, Steve? They can, the best way would be through, well, there are two ways. Okay. You can email me. That's at steve at steveskonzert.com. That's spelled S-T-E-V-E-S-C-O-N-Z-E-R-T.com. Or you can go to my website, steveskonzert.com and there is a contact page there where you can reach me there as well and we will make sure that we will put that down in the show notes Uh, so if you didn't catch that just in time to write it down those links will be in the show notes so you'll be able to click on that and go directly to steve's website from there steve before we close anything else you'd like to add or anything i've overlooked I think we've I think we've about hit it and uh, all I can say is I really believe that self-acceptance and happiness comes from within. I want to reiterate that it's it's life is an inside out game and when we learn to do the things and truly love ourselves and accept ourselves then that is what we project to the world around us and relationships get better life gets better. Life is more happy. Life is more purposeful. And that I believe is, I believe that is the key. Steve, thank you so much for sharing your time, your experience, and your insight with us here on Win This Year. Thank you so much, Shane. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I really appreciate all the work you're doing and for having me on your show today. And as always on Win This Year, we'd like to give you some resources if you or someone you know is seeking mental or behavioral health support. You can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by calling 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The crisis text line can be reached by texting the word LISTEN to 741741. The Not My Kid text line can be reached by texting the word QUESTION to area code 602-584-8474. That's area code 602-584-8474. You'll be given a form to fill out, and a Not My Kid staff member will get back to you. And finally, dial 211 or visit 211.org anywhere in the U.S. or Canada for community information and referral services. Thanks once again to our guest, Steve Sconzert. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy Win This Year, please be sure to subscribe, share, and spread the word. 
Win This Year can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and nearly every other mainstream podcast outlet. If you have questions or concerns, would like to suggest a guest or a topic for a future episode, email us at winthisyear at notmykid.org. As always, all links mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes along with all the links for Not My Kids social media. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. Thank you again for listening to Win This Year.